South Africa also. And I am not in the habit of doing Father's Day messages, nor Mother's Day, which I'm often criticized for. But perhaps the fathers today will be very glad that I'm not doing a Father's Day message because the biggest issue with fathers in South Africa, I'm not speaking about Ireland, I, I suspect it's the same across the world, but in, uh, in South Africa, the biggest problem with fathers that we have with fatherhood is that fathers don't lead. They don't lead their families spiritually. They abdicate their spiritual responsibilities, some even to their children, mostly to their wives, or even to one of the children. And the, a child or a, a, the wife has to lead the family spiritually. And I had a discussion some years ago with a man, and I said to him, what's the issue? What's, why don't you want to lead at home? Why don't you want to lead your family spiritually at home? And he said this to me, very honest, I do not have the energy. I come home tired. I couldn't be bothered what happens at home. And that is a real problem with fatherhood in my home. May it be different here. And may we as men, as fathers and as husbands, take up our responsibility in Christ to lead our families spiritually. So that's all I have to say about fathers. Happy Father's Day. We're going to continue a series, our series on the Holy Spirit. Because as followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives and in the corporate life of the church, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of the Lord within us and amongst us. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus. And he enables the words that we speak and the acts that we do that will, will bring that glory to Jesus. Now a big problem that we have is that we struggle to find the language to be able to speak about the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding of us as individuals and as the church. I'm going to share a very brief story with a man, a, a pastor and a lecturer at a leading Bible college in South, in South Africa, and who is very anti-Pentecostal, charismatic, extremely conservative, reformed man. And uh, he had a problem, he just a pastor, I said he pastors a church and he teaches at a Bible college. But he had a problem in, in his congregation and he called on me for assistance with the congregation, which, uh, which I went to speak to him about. And we had a great discussion and at the end he said,
sense. So why did he move and very different to the way Kenny Jepaksi would say the Holy Spirit spoke? So you see, we start with the language, and what one person means by the Holy Spirit spoke to me or the Holy Spirit in me, and what another person may mean by that could be two vastly different things. So we struggle with language around this issue. And in years gone by, when I first became a Christian back in 1978, it was in, in a Kennedy environment, people constantly spoke about the unction of the Spirit. Have you heard that? And it's like there's a new Christian modern talking unction. Like when and where, we're really too young, who would know what an unction of the Spirit is? And, and then, of course, as you go, you get, you, you're told someone will come and say, I've been compelled by the Spirit. Uh, some would say, I have an impression of the Spirit on my heart. You see, we struggle with the language of it. Some will say, just simply say, the Holy Spirit told me, or the Spirit spoke to me, or the Spirit led me. So I'm not going to try and uh, differentiate between all those meanings. That's not, not what I want to do about being led by the Spirit this morning. But I, I want us to understand that we struggle with language. So when someone is using that language, don't just write them off. Try and find out what it is they mean by that. Because we need to be able to find common ground in terms of how we engage around the Spirit. So today I want to focus on the biblical structure for what is meant by being led by the Spirit. Now in the Christian world, the broader Christian world, there are three camps, groupings, around this issue. One grouping says that the leading of the Holy Spirit is purely moral. The Spirit leads us in in moral terms, to be like Christ. Another group says, no, the Holy Spirit leads us in specific situations for us to know what to do and to know what to say. And then there's the third group that says, well, why do you split those things apart from each other? Why do you keep them separate? Let's do both. Let's have the Holy Spirit lead us morally and in, in specific situations. So when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 14 that we are led by the Spirit, th that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, are the children of God. When, when Paul says that, he's talking about this whole issue of being led by the Spirit. And those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. Now, the context of Romans is Paul dealing with the role of the law of Moses and how the church in Rome is being influenced by the law of Moses versus the work of the Spirit. Again, that is a complex thing for us to, to deal with. But let me just say this, that Paul is teaching the church at Rome that instead of following the law of Moses on how to be God's people in this world, we need to follow the Holy Spirit 
to know how to be the people of God in this world. So normally in Christian thinking, we, 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 we like to put things in opposite places. So we normally say, Paul says, it's law, the law versus grace, right? That's what we normally say. And it's not wrong, that's correct. But in Romans 8, Paul is not comparing law with grace. He's saying the opposite of the law, following the law, knowing how to be God's people in the world, is to follow the Spirit. So he's comparing, saying, don't follow the law. If you want to know how to be a follower of Christ, don't follow the law. Follow the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying in Romans, okay, in Romans 8. Which is why he says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The word led there means, and I've taught you a Greek word in the first two weeks, I might as well teach you another one today, right? It's only fair. This is a very easy word. Ago. Can you all say ago? The word ago means to be led by a person from one place to another. Okay, that's what it means. So Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to lead you from following the law, the place of following the law, and he's going to lead you to a different place of following, in following his way, so that Christ, you can show that you are the children of God. Okay? That's what Paul is talking about in, in, in Romans 8. Now, those who belong to Jesus then can't follow the law because they are a people whose life is sourced in and found in the Holy Spirit. The way to give expression to your faith in Christ is to follow the way of the Spirit, not the way of the law. Now that may make some of you uncomfortable. I'll explain that a little bit later. So it's for this reason and it is this reason that some will say, you see, the Holy Spirit is there to lead you to be like Christ. It's a moral issue. And there is other support, biblical support for that. In Galatians 5 and verse 18, the same Apostle Paul says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, he again compares law with spirit. So how would an Israelite, the people of Israel, up until, this, until the coming of Christ, how would they know how to give expression of their faith in the God of Israel? By following the law of Moses. Paul is saying, now that Christ has come, now that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, the way in which we give expression to being followers of Jesus is by following the Holy Spirit. You're not under the law of Moses to give expression to that faith. You are being led by the Spirit. And those who promote the concept that to be led by the Spirit is a purely a moral issue, again point to Romans 8 and to Galatians 5. But then there are those who say, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead morally. 
he also leads in terms of specific situations. So yes, I'm going to give you three quick examples of this. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 29, with Philip, you'll know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 8.29, what does it say? The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. Now, is that something that is specific to Philip's situation? Or is this something that we can all apply? Or do we all now go out this morning and say, where's the nearest chariot? <laughs> and we'll stay near it. We don't do that, right? Why? Because that is a word spoken to Philip. Who directed Philip? The Holy Spirit did. Right? Here's another one. Acts 11 verse 12. With the Apostle Peter, who, who is explaining how the Lord has, has directed him to, to move away from following the, the aspects of the law. And Peter said this, The Spirit told me to go with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So he's now going to explain the gospel to people who are not Jews. Now that's extraordinary. Peter would have been used to, no, no, the, Christ belongs to the Jews. But now the Spirit is directing him and saying, no, Peter, take the gospel to non-Jews. Now who, that's extraordinary. And who's directing Peter to do that? The Holy Spirit is. Peter says, Peter's own confession is, the Spirit told me to go with them. It's specific to a specific situation, and the Spirit's directing it. Acts 13 and verse 2. This is in relation to a church, the church at Antioch. It says this, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That would be equivalent to us being gathered here and we praying and the, the Spirit would say through someone, set apart, I'll just use myself because I'm, I, can, I can be sent. You can send me back to Cape Town. Boot him back to Cape Town. Set apart Mike and Ramery, send them back off to Cape Town. Right? Specific situation. But how do we know that? Because it's something that the Holy Spirit makes known. So those who say, no, the Spirit also leads through specific situations. He also leads in that. Right? Now, it doesn't matter how conservative you are, every Christian believes that the Lord leads them and directs them in some way. It might be by scripture only, it might be by prophecy, it might be. It, it, that's, I'm not trying to determine the issue, but we all believe, all of us believe, that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in specific situations. Now, sometimes we take that too far. Early on in my, my Christ, pastoral, pastoral ministry, I, had, I had to, was called on to, to, to visit a man, and him and his wife 
had not left their home for three months. They didn't even go and shop. They got their family to go and do their shopping. And I said, why haven't you left your home? Because we pray every day, Holy Spirit, do you want us to leave the house today? And we get no answer, so we stay at home. <laughs> that, you see, we can take everything too far, right? So are there problems? Yeah, there are. Now, I'm not going to say anything else today more about this situation-specific direction of the Spirit, which I, I guess... Most of you would want me to speak on, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to say this about it. And once I've said these few things, that's it done for today. Our problem is that what we're wanting to do with these kind of situation-specific things is we're wanting to eradicate subjectivity. We've all experienced someone coming to us and saying, the Holy Spirit led me to say this, right? We've all, I'm sure all of you have experienced that in some way. And it can turn out to be the biggest load of nonsense. And it's not from the Spirit at all. Now, because it's so subjective, we just want to write off. We want to write it all off because it's subjective. Or we wanting to eliminate subjectivity. We want it always to be objective. Now let me say to you, that is impossible. It is impossible to eliminate subjectivity. It is always going to be subjective. Scripture presents us with two counteracting realities for us to counter that subjectivity. The New Testament doesn't give us a way of eliminating subjectivity. Instead, it's saying it's possible that any one of you can be deceived. It is possible that any one of you could get it wrong. So what do we do? How do we counter that subjectivity? It's through two ways. One, through community. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 says that you've got to test and evaluate anything and everything that someone will come and say the Spirit says. Our problem is not subjectivity. Our problem is that we've lost a sense of community. I'm going to use Tiago here. I remember him from last week. And I hope you don't mind me using it. Forgive me for that. Let's say Tiago stands up here and says, the Holy Spirit has told me that what we need to do to preach the gospel in Limerick is that we have to all uh, hop on one leg and, and, and sing, uh, oh Danny boy, and then everyone in Limerick will be saved. Right? Now, here's our problem. We're too scared to offend Tiago. We've become so individualistic that in a community setting, we won't confront Tiago. <laughs> Tiago, that's so nice. Yes, why don't we try that? <laughs> we all think it's stupid. 
But we <laughs> Tiago, we don't, we don't want to offend him. We don't want to say to him, Tiago, that is just plain stupid. We've lost a sense of what it means. We've lost a sense of what it means to be a community. We, we are so individualistic that we're afraid that if someone is told you're talking nonsense, that they will leave us. Instead of being committed, knowing that even if we have conflict, even if we have disagreement, we're still so committed to each other, we're not just going to get up and leave. That's the solution to subjectivity. The second thing that's the solution to subjectivity is the scriptures. We weigh everything against scripture. If someone is saying something that is not biblical, then we, we say, sorry, that's not biblical. We're not going to do that. We're not going to listen to that. I was once in a church. I've been a Christian since 1978. I can count on, on less than one hand the number of times where I've experienced a spiritual gift in operation where it's been handled correctly. I was in a church where a man got up and he spoke he said, he said, the Lord is saying to us today, and he started talking a, a whole load of nonsense. One of the elders in the church stood up and said, everybody here this morning, I know this man personally. And I think his name was John from memory. Sorry, John. He said, John, I want to tell you that as an elder of this congregation, and I'm inviting everyone else here this morning to join me, I want to tell you that you're talking rubbish. And you're talking nonsense because you said this, and that's and not biblical because this passage says this. And you said this, and that's not biblical because this passage says this. And you said this, and that's not biblical because... And the pastor stood up and said, I support elder so-and-so. John, I'm afraid my evaluation of what you're saying is that's a load of nonsense. And he said, anyone else agree with John? And we all kept silence. He said, well, very well then, John. And he looked at John. He said, John, stand up. He said, please. I'm so asking you to repent. Will, are you willing to repent? And John said, no. What I'm saying is true. So then, John, I'm asking you to leave. That's how it's meant to work. Okay? End of subjectivity discussion. Back to Romans 8. Now, I had a few sleepless nights in this week worrying about how I'm going to do this. But in Judaism, there is a concept, a theological concept that was in essential to Judaism. And if I could, I, normally I would spend a whole message showing you how the New Testament also accepts this as a theological concept. We don't have the time for that. I'm just going to show you two quick examples. But let me explain the concept to you. The concept is called the two ages. In Judaism, 
you, you can, sorry, Sarah, you went a little bit too quick for me. In, in Judaism, you know, there was this thought. The world and us as Israel, we're in such a mess that unless God intervenes and comes down and intervenes, we're lost. But God must come down, intervene, and then he must change the way the world works and start a whole new world. And the concept of the two ages was born. This present evil age and the age to come. Okay? And I've got it up as a little diagram which Sarah can put up for you. You'll see that from the time of Adam, this idea of God intervening, and you've got the present age and the age to come. Next slide, please, Sarah. So in Judaism, the Judaism version of the two ages is that there's this big moment where God intervenes. And it's going to be a, a major transition. The way the world is now will end, and then there's going to be this age to come. And I know this makes people uncomfortable. I'm not a new ager. Okay? By talking about the new age, it's actually biblical, and I'll show you this. Let me show you a verse from Jesus himself in Luke chapter 3. Luke 18 and verse 30. Look what... Look what Jesus says. He's talking about uh, family, etc. But he says, well, family, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus uses the phrase, age to come. See there? That's Jesus speaking in Luke 18, verse 30. So Jesus is talking about this time, in this age, and the age to come. So Jesus himself talks about these two ages. All right. Now, in terms of these two ages, I want you to understand that in Christianity, the turning point, the central part, where Judaism expected for God to intervene, in the New Testament and as followers of Jesus, we believe God did intervene. And he intervened by sending Jesus. In the birth of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in the, the death of Jesus, in the resurrection from the dead, God intervened to bring about a new age. And we can depict that in this slide. So there we have that moment of inter God's intervention is in fact the Christ event the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, what is hard for us to understand today, what we really struggle with this, is that we think that this age to come is going to start and happen when Jesus returns. But in fact, what happens, if we can have the next slide, please, Sarah. What happens is, in fact, that the, the new age begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what's hard to understand, is it runs parallel to this present age. It's like God has started a new, a whole new age, but it's running parallel alongside 
this present age. And they overlap with each other. Okay? That's how the New Testament takes this two-age concept. Then we will have the return of Jesus, and we all understand how the different Christians understand differently how that's going to work. It doesn't matter. At some point, we all believe that this present age will be brought to an end. Then what continues on after that? The age to come. We call it the age to come, new creation, heaven, the kingdom of God. We've got different terms for that, right? But what you need to understand is that right now, you sitting here, we are actually living, living in two different ages. This present age and the age to come. They, ru they run parallel to each other. All right? I'm going to give you another verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, It is impossible for those who once have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. See that? Shared in the Holy Spirit. Who have tasted the good goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. Who here this morning is a follower of Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have received the Holy Spirit. You, in receiving the Holy Spirit, you have a taste of the powers of the coming age. Why? Who produces the age to come? Who produces God's new creation? Who will lead? Where does the Spirit lead you to? To the new creation, to the kingdom of God, to heaven, right? That's where He's leading us. And with us having Him dwell with us now, He's enabling us to have this connection with the age to come in this present age. Right now, the Holy Spirit gives you the powers that belong to the age to come. Have I explained that well enough? That's quite hard to understand. I accept that it's quite hard to understand. All right, let's see the next two, two slides, please, Sarah. I'm going to try and demonstrate that, and I'll repeat that once more. So we have the Christ event which starts a new age. There's a new age starting. And now you've got these two ages running together. And there's an overlap between them. Next slide, please, Sarah. So I've depicted it here as this present evil, as this present age and the age to come. And where it overlaps, I've got a group of people there. Because we, here's the reality. We can live according to either one of those two ages. And what we need to learn is how to live according to the age to come. So if we go back to Romans 8 and verse 13, it says this, For if you live according to the flesh, the sinful nature, you will die. Sorry, Sarah, can you just go back to that previous slide? You see here, the present age is, is, is understood by the flesh, the sinful nature, which is subject to the law of God, right? In this present age, that's 
That's how God is speaking into this present age. We are, we are subject to the flesh, to sin, death, and the devil. That's our deep struggle. Who of you experienced a daily struggle of temptation and, and I'm not sure how to follow Jesus in this, and then, you, and then you fail, and then the Spirit convicts you, and then tomorrow you face the same thing again. You've got this big struggle. Right? You, you all experience that? What are you experiencing? You're experiencing the pull, the tension, the struggle between the age to come and this present age. That's what you're experiencing. And if, going back to verse 13 of Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the principles of this world, what's going to happen to you? You will die. But the Apostle Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will, you will live. How do you do that? Next slide, please, Sarah. How do you put that to death? I'm sorry, go back one if you can. You put to death the flesh by living in the Spirit. Now I want to take you to two uh, passages, Colossians 3. Verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says this, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in its knowledge in the image of the Creator. So we talk about the old man in Christ and the new man in Christ. When we hear the old man and the new man, we think that that's quite weird. It's actually exactly the same thing as this present age and the age to come. Can we have that slide, please, Sarah? The new man, the new man is equal to following the spirit in the age to come. The old man is following the flesh in this present age. Now, I need to illustrate that to you. Or let me first just give you one more verse. I'm going to take you to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, or you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Back to that previous slide, please, Sarah. Again, what Paul is saying, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Now, we're in that war every day. We're in that war between the spirit and the flesh. But we need to understand that we are asked to live according to the age to come, not according to this present age. Now, how does that work? That's the big challenge. Now, I'm going to ask you to imagine something. Okay? Imagine this. Imagine that you are no longer in this mortal body. Imagine that you have been raised from the dead on the last day. Imagine that you have entered into the everlasting life of the kingdom of God. Right? Can you imagine that? So you're no longer subject to a body of sin, death, and the devil. You've got a resurrected body. You're no longer living in a world under God's judgment. You're now living in a new age, a new creation. Right? 
Will, let me ask you this question. Will there be sin in heaven stroke new creation stroke age to come? Will there be sin there? Right? Why not? Why not? Because you've been made new. You've been resurrected. Sin, death, the devil defeated. God has taken away his judgment. He's put you in a whole new creation, right? Now, this is what the New Testament is asking you to do. In particular, this is what the Apostle Paul is asking you to do. In this present world, with all its fallenness, with all its brokenness, with all its problems, imagine that you're already living in that age to come. So let me ask you this. If you go into a supermarket and you see something that costs two or three euros more than what you've got in your pocket and you're suddenly tempted, I think I should take that and put it in my bag and walk out without paying. In that moment of temptation, what must you think as a follower of Jesus? Will I do that in the age to come? Will I be subjected to that in the age to come? And the answer is, then don't do it. But here's the thing. We are subject to this weakness of this flesh. So what, what do we do? In that moment we say, Holy Spirit, come and strengthen me. Lead me in the way of the new creation. And the Holy Spirit then gives you the power which you don't have to be able to overcome that temptation. Young couple sitting next to each other, teenagers, holding hands. And they start getting feelings they've never had before. And the temptation comes. Well, let's do a little more. And the thought comes to the young man who is a Christian. Lord, I don't know how to deal with all this sexual desire that is building up inside of me. How do I deal with this? In that moment, you can ask yourself this. Will there be fornication in the age to come? No. So the Holy Spirit can give me power from the age to come, now in the present. If I turn to him and ask him, he can help me overcome this moment. And I can make a decision to get up and walk away. And for, to have the power to do that comes not out of your own strength or your own ability, but it comes to you from the Holy Spirit who's giving to you the power of the age to come. That's how it works. That's how it works. 
which is why the Apostle Paul then in Galatians 5 and verses 22 and 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. When he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why not? Is there a law against faithfulness? Is there a law against unfaithfulness? But the Spirit doesn't lead us in unfaithfulness. He leads us in faithfulness. So a husband goes on a business trip and he's in a hotel room and feeling lonely and he thinks that maybe he should go to the bar and connect with an, a, a lady who is available. When he has that thought in his hotel room, in that moment as a follower of Jesus, what does he need to do? In the age to come, Will there be adultery? Will there be unfaithfulness? What must I do? Right now, I must see myself instead as a resurrected person delivered into the kingdom of God and that the Spirit of God is now present with me to enable me in my fallenness and brokenness, in this moment of my own sexual desire to give me the power to, to not go down to the bar, but to stay in my room. That's how it works. Because the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience. The character of, of, of the age to come is more important than having a specific law, don't do this, don't do that. So, last slide, please, Sarah. We need to live according to the age to come, not according to the commands that God has given into this present age. Now, people say, Mike, are you denigrating the law? Not at all. Not at all. Because the law is the, the lowest revealed standard. But here's the problem. Does the law say do not commit adultery? It does, right? But if you are responding in this present age, not aware of the age to come and the power of the age to come and the Holy Spirit's work in your life, if you're not aware of that and all you're trying to do as a Christian is, <gasps> I have to obey, honor my father and mother. I have to honor my father and mother. I hate my father, but let me honor my father. And I can't, I can't get there. Why can't you get there? Because of your fallenness. But if you understand that as a follower of Jesus, you have the power of the age to come available to you through the person and work of the Spirit, and if you can see yourself living in that age to come in the present, you then have the potential to overcome. And just in case someone thinks that we're preaching a moralistic gospel, I want to take you back to Romans 8 and verse 15. What does it say? 
You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit brings about relationship with God. The, the word Abba, by the way, is neither Hebrew nor Greek. It's an Aramaic word. And it's a word of intimacy. It expresses personal relationship and intimacy. We can say to God the Father, we can call God the Father, imagine that, Abba. You are my intimate Father. I know you intimately. Who enables that? The Holy Spirit does. Because He reveals to us what it means to be a son and daughter of God. So what I'm, how do then are we led by the Spirit? We are led by the Spirit by understanding that the Spirit leads us in relation to the age to come. The Spirit leads us by taking us out of this present age. Now, let's, none of us are deluded. The New Testament isn't deluded. They're not saying you, you get taken somewhere else. But inside this present world, in our present circumstances, you can live in a way that is empowered by the Spirit according to the age to come. And it, that is what is meant by Paul in Romans 8. Whoever is led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit is active in leading us in that. The Holy Spirit will never lead us in something which has been revealed in the law. He will, he will never do that. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to, to steal. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to murder. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to, to be filled with hatred and jealousy. He's not going to do that. But if we try and obey the law, we are living. We are actually saying that Jesus has never come. The Holy Spirit has never been sent. And for us to have a relationship with God, we have to keep the law. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. By the Spirit, through Christ Jesus, you have been brought into an intimate relationship with the Father. What you now have to understand is that you are being led by the Spirit into that age to come. And you can live as if you are in that age now. And it's a war. Yes, it's a war. It's a daily struggle. But it's possible. It's possible. And if you fail, which we often do, the Spirit will empower you and help you deal with that and help you overcome. May we as a people truly be led by the Spirit in accordance with the age to come. And may we also be led by the Holy Spirit in situation-specific scenarios so that Jesus may be glorified. Amen. Father, we thank you for the work of your Spirit, who is the Spirit of the age to come. In this week ahead, may you lead us and guide us in understanding that 
and developing that within us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize for it being so long.